10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwald, and thank you so very much for deciding to join me once again. I am going to do another addition to the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes a little bit later in the show. We'll have a gentleman that will be joining my grandfather, Thomas Jefferson, the American patriot, Neil Armstrong, and the American woman as the sixth entry into the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes, and I'm very excited about that, especially given our time right now. Um, But I would be totally remiss if I didn't talk about Joe Biden just a little bit. Folks, I've gotten to the point where I'm starting to feel sorry for Joe Biden. It's not even political animosity anymore. I just feel bad for the guy. You know, whether I agree or disagree with his politics, and you guys probably know my stand on that by now, He's been a statesman, you know, he's been a Democrat icon for almost half a century. The guy, again, I, you know, I don't particularly care for a lot of the things that he's accomplished, but I mean, he's got an impressive legacy to stand on. And at this point, what people are going to remember is him stumbling and bumbling and searching for words and frankly looking like a complete idiot. And I really do believe that he's not an idiot. You know, I I don't care for the guy a whole lot, but he's not stupid. You know, you don't become vice president of the United States and have a 47-year political career by being an idiot. And so I really believe that he's not well, which disgusts me, truly. You know, his wife Jill's a doctor. She's not a medical doctor, but she's a doctor. She's an extremely intelligent woman. She's the person in this world who probably knows Joe Biden better than anyone. And that if he is in a cognitive decline, she's going to be the first one to see it. And if I can see it, surely she does. And yet she puts him out there, or allows him at least to go out there, day after day, and embarrass himself. I mean, it's just pathetic. And all I can think of is, you know, this must be like the end of the Reagan presidency, where President Reagan was in a severe cognitive decline himself. And his wife Nancy, bless her heart, kept him out of the limelight. She didn't leave him out there to speak when he didn't have the ability to do so in a cognitive, intelligent way. And therefore, we conservatives are left with this image of Ronald Reagan. We don't remember a guy stumbling and bumbling and fumbling all over the place. We remember the guy who stood up and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We remember a man of power and dignity and respectability. And for conservatives, you know, an an icon of our virtues. 
Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that Ronald Reagan wasn't a conservative. You know, in a lot of social ways he was. In terms of cutting taxes, he was. Running up the deficit, you know, he was the one that really started that in earnest. Now, granted, he spent the Soviet Union into the ground, and I don't disagree with what he did. He won a war against the Soviet Union without a single overt shot being fired. He did what he had to do. There are times that you have to deficit spend. I'm not particularly fond of it, but there are times that you have to do that. And I feel like that was a calculated, intelligent, respectable choice at that point in our history. You know, if you're going to run up the debt for meaningless welfare programs, for health care programs that don't work, you know, and those kinds of things, yeah, i got a little bit more of a problem with that. Does that make me a hypocrite? Maybe it does. But to be able to defeat the only other superpower on planet Earth at the time, like I said, without an overt shot being fired, I'll take that. You know, how many millions of people would have died if the United States and the Soviet Union squared off in full-on combat? Knowing full well that as soon as one of those two countries saw that the end was near, that red button was going to be pressed. When both countries had the ability to destroy planet Earth multiple times over. So I, I kind of, I'm okay with Reagan as far as that goes. I'm okay with the fact that Nancy Reagan shielded him. She loved her husband. She respected her husband. She wanted me and you to be left with that dignified image of him that we still carry in our hearts. And for whatever reason, and God knows we could talk about what the potential reasons are all day long, for whatever reason, Joe Biden is allowing her husband to be used and humiliated. And it's sad. You know, I, I was re raised to have respect for my elders. And I do. I have respect for everybody. You know, I call the 17-year-old girl at the convenience store that waits on me, ma'am. But I, I was raised especially to have respect for my elders. And to see somebody in the condition that Joe Biden is in put out on a worldwide stage to struggle like that makes me uncomfortable. And on some level, it makes me hurt for him. As human beings, we're empathetic. And I think about, what if that happens to me someday? My grandmother passed away from dementia and other complications. I saw what happened to her. I certainly wouldn't want her put in the position that Joe Biden is. And by damn, if I knew she was in a point where she was in a serious cognitive decline, I would have been the one, if someone else didn't, if my mother or somebody else didn't do it, I would have been the one to pull her aside and say, Mom, Mom, you can't do this anymore. I'm sorry, but I love you and you can't do this anymore. And I did that. You know, when she was still in her apartment living on her own, I went over to visit her one afternoon. 
and she was loading clothes into the oven. I said, Mom, what are you doing? Oh, JC, you know, I, I'm just doing some laundry. You know, had I not gotten there when I did, would she have burned the entire apartment building down? I don't know. But it was at that point that I went to my mom, who had her power of attorney. It's like, Mom, here's what happened. She can't live on her own anymore. And we made that difficult decision, and we cried about it. I had no desire to take my grandmother's freedom away from her. But as someone who loved her and still does love her, I needed to make sure that she was safe, and that's what I did. That's what my mom did. I'm going to play for you a clip from yesterday. This is Thursday the 17th as this is being recorded. But I need to play for, for you a clip from yesterday where Joe Biden was talking about, at least I think he was trying to talk about, that if you're a quartermaster in the Army, that qualifies you to sell women's clothes in a department store. Check this out. Because if you could take care, if you were a quartermaster... You can sure in health take care of running a, you know, a department store uh, thing, you know, we're in the second floor of the ladies' department or whatever, you know what I mean? Does that sound like somebody who's cognitively well to you? Because it certainly doesn't to me. You know, I just continue to be more and more disappointed in the people around Joe Biden that they let him continue to look like that. I mean, it's not even his fault that he compares an Army quartermaster to someone that sells lingerie. You know, I respect both of them. They both contribute to society. You know, there's no question about that. I respect anybody that contributes to society in any way, which is why I call that girl in the convenience store, ma'am, because she's certainly making a, a contribution, and one that I appreciate on a daily basis. But this guy is not well like he struggles so desperately to form a sentence anymore. And the press conferences that he's had, you know, the people that are asking questions are handed cards or sheets of paper with the things that they're allowed to ask him about. He's had a teleprompter during at least one press conference, feeding him the answers, and he still struggles to form a sentence. I mean, it's just so sad. Imagine that's your husband. That's your grandfather. That's your great uncle. What are you going to do? Are you going to let him struggle like that? Are you going to let him look like a buffoon? Are you going to step in and say, hey, grandpa, hey, unk, hey, honey? You know, it's time for you to settle down and enjoy retirement. You've had a great career. I'm proud of what you've done. But it's time to go. And help him to gracefully ride off into the sunset. It's what the man deserves. It's what all of us deserve. And meanwhile, the media just hammers away on Trump, you know, who obviously is well, who keeps a schedule that none of us could, sleeping four hours a day and working the other 20. I mean, who would have thought a 71, 72-year-old man would be made to look, you know, more energetic than anybody else in the country? 
He looks incredibly young compared to Joe Biden when there's, what, a six or seven year difference? I mean, Trump looks 21 compared to Biden. But it's time. It's time to take Joe by the hand and say, hey, you know, well done, good and faithful servant to the United States. Which is how that side feels about him. And tell him it's time to go home. Respect the man. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my high honor and sincerely distinct privilege to make this sixth induction into the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes. Inducted today is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He joins Thomas Jefferson, my grandfather, a first wave Omaha Beach veteran, Neil Armstrong, the spirit of the American woman, and the spirit of the American patriot. I probably should have inducted Dr. King before now, but I'm glad that I didn't. Because I feel like in this day and age, we need him, we need his philosophy, we need his spirit more than ever. Dr. King lived in a time where segregation was the order of the day, where our African-American brothers and sisters were abused for absolutely no reason with fire hoses and dogs and billy clubs and you name it. And we just buried John Lewis. You know, John Lewis literally had his skull caved in for crossing a bridge in Selma, Alabama in protest, in peaceful protest. And John Lewis is another one of those people whose politics I really didn't agree with. His desire to impeach the president for no reason I really didn't agree with. But if you're a man who is willing to risk your life and suffer serious injury for standing up for what you believe in, then you have my unending respect. And John Lewis does. Dr. King... It's hard to even put into words. Dr. King garners that respect from me because in that time of segregation and abuse of African Americans, he committed himself entirely to nonviolent forms of protest. Entirely. There was not one instance where he was involved in any violence or any of his followers were involved in any violence. And you contrast that with Malcolm X, who violence was an option for. And I'll be perfectly honest, I don't begrudge him that. Black people were truly oppressed back then, truly oppressed. They truly didn't have the rights that white America did. And if I felt like my people were truly oppressed, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have followed Dr. King. I would have followed... Malcolm X. They want to treat us this way, we'll treat them this way. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And that just gives me that much more respect for the way Dr. King carried himself, the way he encouraged his movement, 
the difference that he was able to make through a lack of violence? And the man's words will resonate from now until the end of this planet. His I Have a Dream speech, for my money, is the greatest speech in American history. And there's a lot of competition. Gettysburg Address. But the vision that Dr. King had was the vision that the United States of America adopted. How often can you really change a society systemically without violence? How often can you even get a society to attempt to see things a different way without violence? And the imagery that he used was just incredible. You know, it, it wasn't the high platitudes that, you know, either seem phony or people can't understand. You know, it was about his little kids being able to play with little white kids. Being judged not on the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. We would do really well to have Dr. King back today. I understand there's a lot of frustration in the black community. On some level, I understand it. Not completely, but on some level, I understand it. If you grow up in inner city Chicago or Baltimore or New York or L.A., you know, any of these places where gang violence is the norm, where you wonder if you're going to live till age 25, where there seems to be no hope and no escape, it's got to build a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. Now, are those things necessarily pushed upon them by white America? Absolutely not. You know, there's no fence built around those neighborhoods saying you stay in here and kill each other while we prosper out here. You know, I think I've told you guys the story of, we call each other black friend and white friend, my black friend Joe, who is a computer programmer. He's got his master's degree in some kind of computer science that I don't even really understand. And I remember Joe talking to his friends, you know, telling me about talking to his friends and to his own family even. You know, that's what he wanted to do, and he was going to get his master's, and he was going to make something of himself. And repeatedly he heard the words, why are you acting so white? You know, the desire to pursue happiness is not a white trait. Certainly white people want to do that. So do black people. So do Asians. So do Hispanics. So does everyone. And we're fortunate to live in a country that largely because of Dr. King's actions, we're able to do that. You know, back then, black people were told where they had to sit on a bus. In this generation, we've had a black president of the United States. Look how far we've come in 50 or 60 years.
two generations, essentially. No, Miss Parks, you got to get to the back. The heck I do. It was those people with that steadfast resolve, with a desire to do things through peaceful means that affected change, real change, in this great country. White people owe Dr. King a debt of gratitude that we'll never be able to repay. And the average person, quote unquote, I mean, how can you call Rosa Parks an average person when you look at what happened because of her one action, her one peaceful action? But it was regular people that did this for us. And yes, I mean for us. I've had the privilege throughout my entire life to look at black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Tongan, whatever race, and look at them as my complete and entire equal, as it should be. As the Declaration of Independence said it was going to be. And there are a whole lot of reasons that we didn't do the things that we promised we were back then. You know, Jefferson and Adams and Madison realized that they had to have everybody on the same page. Ben Franklin realized that everybody had to be on the same page. We couldn't ban slavery at that time because the southern states would have said, the hell with you guys. They would have been their own country then. And the handful of northern states wouldn't have stood a chance against the Brits, who were the only superpower on planet Earth at that time. I mean, it was unlikely enough that we could win our American Revolution with the 13 colonies intact. There's no way it would have happened without those southern states. No conceivable way. And that's why, from the beginning, we did not law slavery. Now, I know you look at Thomas Jefferson, and so do I, my favorite founder. And said, so, well, J.C. had 200 slaves of his own. And he did. And he had a very deep and intense relationship with one of them, too, Sally Hemings. You know... Sally Hemings may have been closer to him than his own wife, for all we know. There are certainly a, a lot of appearances that would indicate that. And so I look at this man as heroic and courageous and visionary as he was. And I also see a man that's flawed. I see a nation that was flawed at that time. Yeah, our vision was incredible. And thank God, since then, it's developed into a country that gives more opportunity to more different kinds of people than any other nation in the history of the world. I hang my hat proudly on that. I'm proud of the fact, whether I liked his politics or not, that my country, 13% black, has progressed far enough to elect a black man president of the United States. 
70 70% of this country is white. We handed the keys to a black man and said, here, we trust you to be the most powerful person on planet Earth. And we did. My country has a lot of flaws. And God knows the further you go back, the more flaws you see. We're not perfect. We never will be perfect. It's right to have some small amount of shame for our past. And when it comes to slavery, a great deal of shame. I mean, the concept of owning another human being is something that I can't even begin to comprehend. How did anybody think that was okay? And I know it's not just us. I mean, the ancient Egyptians had slaves. Many, many countries in this world have had slaves. But I don't want to be many, many countries. I want to be us. I want to be the United States of America. I want to make that commitment that promise that we made when we declared our independence that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not for white people, not for white men, for you, you personally. Every man, woman, and child in this country You know, even when 363,000 northern troops laid down their lives and slavery came to an end, everybody wasn't free. And I, I shake my head because those 363,000 on average were between 16 and 23 years old. They were largely white. No disrespect to the black troops that serve with the Union Army. They're heroes on top of being heroes. But those men were largely white. 363,000 of them. Again, kids, 16 to 23. Willingly and freely gave their lives. Why? Because in their hearts... They believed that the freedom of the black man and the freedom of the black woman was more important than their own existence. I happen to agree with them. I don't know that I could have made the same sacrifice. But I think they're right. I don't think you can have a country that is truly free until everyone is truly free. And a century, century later, here comes a man. Here comes a man who decided it was time for all of us to be truly free. It was time for segregation to be over. It was time for the unnecessary attacks on black men and women to stop. It was time to stop seeing John Lewis get his head bashed in for peacefully expressing what he believed in. I wish Dr. King was here today. 
You want to talk about speaking softly and carrying a big stick. That was the man. You know, I can't imagine how different things would be right now. Like I said, there's a lot of anger in the black community. Some of it's justified. I don't think most of it is, if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, when 90% of the time when a black person is killed, it's by another black person. But the only lives you care about are the ones that are taken by white police officers. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's just fraudulent. But could Dr. King, with the reach that he would have now, could he speak to our black brother and sister Americans and say, look, put down the Molotov cocktails. Stop attacking police officers. Stop shattering the windows of stores in your own freaking neighborhoods and stealing. Stop going after that guy in the truck because he's white. If we're going to fix problems, let's fix our own problems. And a couple of decades later, Barack Obama said the same thing. I remember him speaking as a candidate to an AME church in Selma, Alabama. Selma, Alabama. Let me just say that one more time. But he was speaking to an AME church. And he asked the rhetorical question, what's our responsibility to a black congregation? And he said, and I quote, we need to fix our own house first. And only when we've done that, ask the government for help. That was the most conservative thing I have ever heard him say. I was driving at the time, and I took both hands off the steering wheel and clapped. Because I'm one of those people, I don't care who you are. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care about anything. If you say something that makes sense and will make us better... You will and you do have my support. And on that one thing, Barack Obama certainly did. I felt like he was taking a page out of Dr. King's playbook. Addressing these black brother and sister Americans as capable people. As people willing to make the change and able to make a change for themselves for the better. And that's what I believe. I believe black people can do whatever the hell they want to do in this country. I believe they can change their own neighborhoods. I believe they can come become president of the United States. I believe that they have exactly the same opportunities that I do. Because they do. And it infuriates me to no end to watch my country burn. To watch stores looted. To watch police officers injured and killed. To coordinate the way that they have. If you can do that, you can stop gangs in your neighborhood. If you've got that kind of ingenuity and that kind of ability, you can do it. You can be the change. And if they're willing to do that, 
if our brother and sister African-Americans are willing to do that, and we see that progress, we see that effort, we goddamn sure better get in there and help them. And I'm sorry for my language. But it's like we look at this the wrong way. White man's the enemy. We got to burn everything down. We got to loot everything. We got to kill and injure cops. And a white man looks back and says, oh, well, we thought you were violent thugs anyway. Thanks for confirming that. And there is no dialogue. There is no conversation. There is no progress. And we all deserve that. David Dorn deserves that. Mackay James deserves that. You know, the two police officers in L.A., one of which, thank God, got out of the hospital today, that were ambushed and shot at close range. They deserve that. Dr. King, if I may say so, wouldn't have supported any of this. He wouldn't have supported Black Lives Matter. He wouldn't have supported the white people that are being hostile right now. He would have tried to calm the anger and the fury and bring us all back to the table. And you know how I know that? It's because that's what he did. Ladies and gentlemen, the sixth edition, and miles beyond deservedly so, to the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Dr. King, thank you for making this country your friend. We honor your sacrifice and we're proud to induct you into the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes. It's the very least that I can possibly do. I wish I could give more. And friends, you know how much I appreciate you. As we bring this episode of the Treehouse of Liberty to a close, I invite you to contact me anytime. TreehouseofLibertyMedia at gmail.com. TreehouseofLibertyMedia at gmail.com. Also, the Treehouse of Liberty podcast page on Facebook or on Twitter at Treehouse1776, at Treehouse1776. Definitely want to hear from you. I mean, you personally listening right now. Hit me up. Let me know what you want to do. Criticize, talk, whatever you want. I'd be honored to have you on the show. Let me know what you want to do. Like I say all the time, this isn't my show. This is our show. And thank you so much for being a part of it. Take care.